The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to a new episode of The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker in New York and I'm with my co-host Tom Astor in Oxford. Tom, how are you, mate? Very well, thanks, Nigel. Yeah, you know, getting on with it. Yeah, I like the way uh, you've sort of off-centred yourself to camera so that there's a grand piano on, off to your, you know, what are you, your right. Ah, uh, uh, well, the grand piano in the picture. That's a good little hint at uh, tonight's guest and her potential connections to... Oh, I see. You're going to bring up past, past amours, are you? Um, yeah, maybe. That's always, a, that's always a good one. You know, you can talk about her ex-husband and we'll talk about your ex-wife. How about that? That sound fun? Yeah, no, probably. I'm not, I'm not allowed to talk about my ex-wife after 7 p.m. Right, so there you go. And I'm not sure yeah. she's allowed to talk about her ex-husband ever. But um, uh, <laughs> what, well, are you drinking? what are you drinking, old boy? I'm not drinking a cocktail, per se. Actually, I am drinking sake. And I've discovered this delicious sake called Azure. Hmm. And I, for fear of cultural misappropriation, I'm not going to try and read what the Japanese writing says on the back of it. I can only guess. But um, delicious rice wines, rice sake, very, very refreshing, drunk, very cold, and like a cocktail, really. Like a cocktail, just delicious. I mean, and, and there, I mean, we should probably at some point try and do something on sake because there are so many different variations of it, so many different brands and ways of making it. Um, but I'm a huge fan, cold or warm. It's a great tipple. And, uh, you know, when you can't, when you can't, you know, when you're not, when you're sort of run out of kind of inspiration for the, for the shaker, it's, it's, a, it's a great kind of go-to. I love uh, it. I'm a huge fan. I, I actually, funnily enough, don't really like it warm. And I think that when, when I went to Japan, I couldn't find it warm anywhere. I think it's one of those things where it's a bit of a trick. If you don't like, if you don't, don't like the sake or it's on its way out the door, heat it up, warm it up and just serve it up hot. And people will be like, oh, hot sake. You know, but actually, you know, the, and, and actually too, that, so the, uh, you know, the whole art of drinking it out of a wooden box too, like that with it spilling over the edge into the plate around it, you know, that, that sort of over-serving kind of concept. It's a, the Japanese, just the whole art form of it, every way they serve everything. I mean, it's just yeah, such yeah. a big, the, the tradition behind it, I love. Yeah. Tea ceremonies. I'm drinking something completely, completely different, actually. Uh, literally, it, it's being called... sponsored to drink it, or I'm is not this... being sponsored to drink it. No, I'm never sponsored to drink it. I just drink things for God's sake. It's called I'm on a cleanse. <laughs> and it is made with um, you're gonna you're gonna love this. Los Sundays tequila, Blanco Los Sundays uh, tequila, but it's made with charro aloe liquor, aloe vera liqueur, an ounce of lime, kiwi honeydew agave, and uh, three dashes of cucumber bitters. I thought I'd go for something a little bit different. I actually heard about this recipe, was checking out this uh, Los Sundays tequila, which is pretty cool, got great labels, new. And I was just looking at their recipes, and what startled me was that all too often, it's always the same thing with tequila. Like they, it's always mixed into the same drinks, the same margaritas, the same everything. This was the first time I'd really seen and a really eclectic. And this is one of like fifteen different things they can do that they're suggesting that you do with it. Um, so hey, I've not actually tried it. So this is it. This is this right. is it right here. It's Cheers, alcoholic. Mate. It has got alcohol. So it's what's tequila. Yes, but it's okay. 
Where's, what's the cleansing bit? The lime or something? I have no bloody idea. I've always thought a margarita should be a cleanse. I remember ages ago, by the way, it's delicious. I, I remember ages ago, I was doing a cleanse, one of those ridiculous cleanses that everyone always, you know, you do after Christmas or whatever, you're trying to cleanse your system out. And I was, it was sort of day three and I was starving and I was drinking these things. And it was, one of them came and it was basically lime and pineapple and some puree. And it was, I was like, whoa. Anyway, I actually cheated and that was my last day and I, I hadn't drunk one and I mixed it with tequila and it was all of a sudden brilliant. It was like the best tequila mix. And I remember doing a, a post back then, this was a few years ago, and I was like, oh my God, if you've ever done this cleanse, take it, mix it with tequila. And guess what? Lo and behold, a year later, Skinny Margarita comes out and uh, I missed the boat on that one because that would have been the most perfect Combo right there, Tommy. I'm so pleased that you said it was uh, went down it went down that way. I thought you were going to say something like you're on a cleanse and you had some kind of tequila enema or something. Um, well, yes. Well, thank you for that. Um, well, the reason I said that is because when you had a sip of your drink just now, your eyes started watering. And just I just yeah, yeah, it's, it's what always happens when I look at you at this hour of the evening. My oh, eyes start to water, especially when there's a photograph of me on the grand piano, uh, Mister. Can you see that? Oh yeah, of course I can. Listen, I do. You know, you're always you're always here, even when you're I'm not. Always here, looking at you. I'm sure you've got one in your bedroom too. Um, booze news, booze news, my friend. And um, I can tell you, there's some interesting intergalactic booze news. Whoever thought booze news would come from a planet far, far away? Um, I'm talking about wine aged in space, space wine. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Space wine on sale for $1 million. $1 million. It's, a, it's a basically, joking aside, it's, they actually took up 12 bottles of Petrus 2000 um, and they kept them up there in space for 14 months. And they're being offered for sale by Christie's uh, and they're only, only selling one of these bottles for $1 million. Um, and the interesting thing is you can buy a regular bottle of Petrus for six to seven and a half thousand dollars. And it's kind of interesting what they're doing here because this extraterrestrial bottle is being sold alongside an actual bottle that, that aged the exact same amount of time on Earth. Um, so you're buying sort of the two at the same time. So you can do a taste test between space wine and Earth wine. Do you know, that, do you know something? That's just, I've got to say, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I mean, you can get... You can get, uh, you can get a case or whatever. You can get a case on Primo or so, let's say, a really good, you know, something decent, like a lynch barge, right? I drink, I can go to my cellar, I can get two bottles of lynch barge 2000 out, and I can open them both up together, and I can taste one bottle, and it'll taste completely different to the other bottle. So the idea that it's just a gimmick, I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing. Like, what, like, what a most serious... ridiculous. Unbelievable. Absolutely. In fact, it sounds like a complete BS from outer space. But guess what? It's, it's true. And also, also, you've got a million dollars to spare. Give it to freaking someone like dessert and more deserving. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the most, I, that's not news. That's just ridiculous. It's not even a, it's not even a good joke. It's insulting. There, there you have it, people. We are insulted by the news. On <laughs> So we might as well just get our guest on, shall we, and start really getting the insulting going. Oh, 
Very, very excited about our guest today. I first met her in Marrakesh, Morocco. And uh, it, 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 I actually, when I think back on it, it kind of reminds me, I, I, I some of these and I feel like I was in a James Bond movie, although I was actually shooting America's Next Top Model, which is completely nothing like a Bond movie, except when our guests showed up and then all of a sudden I did feel like Bond for a minute. Um, I was photographing her for Vogue at the Ray Tracy Lemamunio, which Tom, you know the Mamunio in Marrakesh. Mamunia, thank you. Sorry, I always get it wrong and Tom always gets it right. And that's why you're here, Tom. Um, and and uh, you'll know my, our co-host, you'll know our guest today as the co-host of the Food Network's Emmy-nominated show, The Kitchen, amongst other great shows about food. She's also a best-selling author with a new book just released called It's Not Complicated. She's gorgeous, as proved by her appearance in People Magazine's The Beautiful Issue. Um, and now her career has hit an all-time high as she's on the Shaken and Stirred show. Welcome, Katie Lee Beagle. How are you, Katie? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have to say, it sounds so glamorous. We meet in Marrakesh. Right? <laughs> I, I wish I was that person, that, that glam. <laughs> well, the, the photographs, too. I, I look back and, and I was like, wow, you know, these... There was some really gorgeous shot. I mean, I've had a chance to photograph you a couple of times now. You also appeared in another shoot that I did. That I was doing a whole series of portraits for Raw, called Raw, and we'll get to that later. But it was that shoot where Andre Leon Talley, editor-at-large of, of American Vogue, who was also working on America's Next Top Model, what was the story behind you being there? Because I, I, you weren't on the show, were you? You were just there no, for some months totally random that I ran into Andre when I checked in the hotel. Um, I was there with an ex-boyfriend. We were on vacation and Andre was one of the, I, I walked in, it's hard to miss him. And there he was in the lobby. I said, hi, Andre. And then we hung out the whole trip. Remember we went to that, uh, vintage caftan store and then we met that uh young woman who had the beautiful Riyadh and we went to a dinner party at her house I mean you all made my trip it was great yeah, well you made my trip I mean I, actually I, I think by the way I had nothing to do with the boyfriend being ex now people out there There's nothing <laughs> to do. you saw the pictures you might wonder because they are rather hot I was looking at them myself and I'm like Wow, this is kind of a hot moment, Tom. But then, you know, Marrakesh will do that to you. It's one of those places which is just gorgeous. It's super romantic. Um, those caftans were a little sheer, from what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, we took some gorgeous pictures, and it was what an amazing time. In fact, one of those pictures ended up on a book of yours, if, I, if I'm That's not wrong. That's right. It became my author photo for um, my novel, Groundswell. Fantastic. And the picture that you took that was in Vogue, was it's one of my favorite pictures ever. I love that shot. Such such a pleasure. We're, we've kind of jumped the gun here. Katie, what are you drinking? Um, so I am just drinking one of those sparkling water fruity drinks because I am breastfeeding and <laughs> I'm, I'm off the soft for the most part. I, I, I go, I have my um, alcoholic beverages at night after I've finished for the day and I'm off duty. I've got a funny story about that, actually. But what, what fruity drink is it? It's one of those spindrifts. You know, Spindrift was the sponsor of our of our podcast for a minute there. So oh, I think right. I think they're secretly still sponsoring us, Tom, and our production <laughs> hasn't told us because our guests keep turning up drinking Spindrifts, and we're like, this is very suspicious because you know <laughs> why are they drinking Spindrifts? See, listen, you, you talk okay, you're breastfeeding. Congratulations, you have. I know you have a beautiful daughter, Iris. That's her yes, name, right? That's right. Yeah. How old is she now? 
She's eight months old and I am totally obsessed with her. It's, she's just completely my world. I, I love her so much. Well, I, it's so great because you know, and I've got all kinds of questions because it's interesting. Tom and I are past that stage. We've both got kids. Tom's got three. I've got two. But we ours are all you know, sort of teenagers and all the rest of it at this point. But I know you're probably in the weeds, you know, right now. In fact, it looks like you're in a the baby the kids' room. Are you in your bedroom or are you in no, the baby? It's my bedroom, but it might as well be a kids' room. There's like stacks of baby clothes and laundry. I feel like I cannot keep my house straight. There's just stuff everywhere. Of course, before I had a baby, I said, I'll never have all those brightly colored plastic toys in my living room. Now, if you go in the living room, there's a bouncy, there's the little baby gym, there's a pack and play full of toys. It's like I've become that person. You know, I remember wrapping up my sort of coffee table in this horrible bumper which was that it stopped the child from banging his head as they ran along the ground. And in the end, my entire house was like taped up and wrapped up and it couldn't have been uglier. It looked like I had moved out and I just left everything out of the boxes, but I was quite happy with it. I think that's a thing that parents go through, you know, that sort of total fear. Yeah. And I, I got to say, I do love just the way you've handled having a kid and, and the way you've brought them her uh, into your sort of public life in a way too, because it's such a, you know, obviously some people choose not to do that. And and, and you've chosen to, to sort of have Iris as a, as a part of your family in a very visual way. You know, and, you, and I've seen her on your Instagrams where you're cooking and you're doing a some, some sort of meal prep or something. And she's like on the ground banging or something or playing <laughs> yeah. around at your feet. And it's just so funny, you know. Yeah, I like to, you know, I, I don't put her on every day and I don't show her face a whole lot just sometimes. And it's not entirely a, a conscious decision, but in some ways it is. I, I just don't want her to be overexposed and on social media all the time. If she grows up and says, Mom, why did you show me doing that? I'm embarrassed. So I just figure I have her every once in a while. And so, but she's such a big part of my life that she's always going to be peripherally in, in on it. I think the interesting thing, what you're doing, though, is that it's not like some people, and, I, and this is not a judgment. This is purely, I, I, you know, you watch what people are doing. And I've got some of, the, some of these people are my good friends um, who very much like their kid is born and like they have a sort of, they buy a dog or something. And all of a sudden, within the <laughs> moment they get that, at that, that, that new person, that new dog or that new kid it has an Instagram account and they have their own sort of name and their own fan base and they're sort of promoting sort of separate pictures just of the babies it's growing up. And, you know, it's sort of like creating that whole platform for a child, which again, I probably sound like I'm being judgy. I don't really, I don't mean to be, it's not for me that particularly thing. I mean, I, my kids are on my social too, but not like publicly like that. I, I honestly don't think I'd have time to do it. I barely can figure out what to post of my stuff. I feel like I'm boring and I'm, I'm always trying to think, well, okay, I guess I got to make a recipe. Let's put this up here. So if I was having to do a separate account for her too, I would just run out of time. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I, I hear you. You know, you were mentioning the whole breastfeeding thing earlier. You know, my mom always tells me that I was a real fussy baby. I'm not sure how Iris is, but I was super fussy. And the, the sort of midwives had told her that she should actually drink Guinness and <laughs> oh, whilst yeah. breastfeeding. And, you know, so she would apparently drink a four pack of those small cans, the half cans of Guinness every day. Did it right? work? So apparently I would get sozzled 
and pass out when otherwise I would scream and cry and always be hungry. And it apparently worked. And but it also made her put on like sort of 50 pounds, as she says, because she was drinking like yeah, right? pints of Guinness every single day. Um, I'm sure she wished she was drinking chocolate milkshakes. Like that's not what you want to have to gain your weight. No, well, there you go. Well, the funny thing is, is to this day, Guinness is probably my go-to beer. So, you know, and I, I always had it on tap from an early age. It was only when he had his own children with Chrissy that she had to lay down the law and explain that that his breastfeeding, Nigel's breastfeeding days were over as he sort of tried to got jealous of his children. <laughs> Brought back so many fond memories. Thank I you, Tom, for that. Yeah. No. Love Quite it. Carolina. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks again. Um, so listen, you've got a new book. Uh, on top of all of this, you've just brought out a new book. It's not complicated. Your, your books have this sense of, and you, you've done a few books now. How many have you done? Is this your fifth book or your this fourth? This is my book? fifth, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. You, they're very sort of, it feels like they've got a real sense of home to your to your kind of to your oh, cooking, to your style. And it feels like like this is it's real, it's a tangible kind of recipes, things that you can get around. Is is you know, what was the sort of idea behind it's not complicated specifically? Well, I did want the recipes to feel like home and I wanted them to be the ones that people turn to over and over again. They they aren't complicated, they're very simple but very tasty. Um, I named the book It's Not Complicated as a nod to the Nancy Myers movie, It's Complicated. I love Nancy's movies and I love the way that I feel when I watch them. And they're the movies when I want to turn something on and, and feel that sense of comfort and joy. I go to her movies over and over again. So it was kind of the same for the book. I wanted it to be like, if you want to make a, a turkey meatloaf, you're going to open up. It's not complicated and make that one. If it's Christmas time, you're going to make my prime rib roast. That's what's going to be on your table. Um, it's summer. We want a barbecue. Let's make Katie's ribs. Let's make Katie's ribs. There you go. Can I ask, can I ask Katie, sorry, can I, where, yeah. where do I detect, it was difficult for me because I'm English, so I'm not used to it, but do I detect a where is home? Is there a, is there something southern going on in your accent yeah, somewhere? So you, you are correct. I'm from West Virginia, so uh, I've got a little Appalachian accent. It's not quite southern, but it's right there on the edge. And uh, I've been in New York for 18 years, and I think it just my accent keeps getting thicker every year. Well, probably we're, I'm my great grandmother and was from family from West Virginia, so we're probably related. Really? That, that sounds pretty wrong. Sorry. That, that, sorry, that not that everyone in Appalachia is, you know. <laughs> it's small I mean, town. you know, might be related just from the, yeah, but anyway, it was 200 years ago, but yeah. Tom is specifically on this show because he likes to put his foot in his mouth. I mean, <laughs> I, it can be funny. I was trying to be really nice. And I just, just completely insulted the entire population. You know, you know. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. Yeah, he was actually banished from West Virginia. That's how his family, that's why he ended up in England. They were kicked out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now he resides uh, under a stone in um, in Oxford. But um, okay. he's my my greatest old friend. And hence, we know, we, we've, we've, we're doing this podcast and it's kind of funny. And it's, we've had quite a few good guests. And, like, and you know, you are one of our favorites. We're very happy to have you on. You, so you got married to Ryan Beagle. Now, mm -hmm. this gentleman, it's funny, when I was looking you up, and I don't know much about Ryan, and I, I kind of looked him up a bit too. But there were all these interviews, or at least articles, that were came out around him, like "Who is Ryan Beagle?" and stuff like this. And I was like, "I'm like, what, what am I? What is happening here?" I was like, "I'm like, I hadn't even thought of asking the question, but it, I found literally eight 
eight articles around okay. stories around who he is. Who is he? And, like, and who is Katie Lee marrying? Who is this guy? So well, he's a who very is- nice man. <laughs> I'll tell you who he is. <laughs> um, Ryan and I met on my show Beach Bites. He was one of my producers. And when I walked into the first production meeting, I thought, oh, this might be a problem. He's really cute. <laughs> and we did what you're not supposed to do. We started seeing each other on the job. And uh, it was very hot because it was a secret. And then it became apparent that it wasn't just a fling, uh, that it was true love. And here we are now married with a baby. You guys got engaged in Paris. Is that correct? And then you got married on the Amalfi Coast in Italy. Yes. That is pretty. See, I look. I met you in Marrakesh. He he kind of upped the ante there. I missed my boat. (laughs) He went Paris and then he went Amalfi Coast. Tom, you're a bit of a fan of the Amalfi Coast. We, we've, we've, we've actually holidayed there ourselves together, haven't we? We have. And also, um, I lived in Marrakesh for four years, so this is all ticking all the boxes. Oh, yeah. it's full circle. Well, yeah, we got engaged in Paris, and then we got on the Orient Express to Venice. Oh, that's so, like, I, now, you're kind of, now you're showing off. Sorry, now this is now, showing, this is now the realms of like property showing off, but it's great because... You're not, you're not even pretending it's real. So, sorry, Orient Express to Venice. And yeah. sorry to interrupt. And that was it. <laughs> so it was a very good engagement trip. Amazing. And then we got married a few months later on the Amalfi Coast. And uh, we missed traveling desperately because we love to travel. Um, so, that's we're very much looking forward to getting back to that. A baby right in the middle of a pandemic, though, too, right? So, right in the heart of it. How was that? Was that tough for you? Yeah, you know, there were challenges to it in some regards. Like I would have liked to have seen my family and friends more. But honestly, in some ways, it was so much easier because I didn't have any pressure to go out and do anything or um, feeling like I was missing anything at all. Uh, There was no need to get back to work. I was doing everything from home. And I got to have this little cocoon of just being with my baby. And it was kind of wonderful. I mean, in some ways, this was the best year of my life. Shh, don't tell people that. I'm I joking. know. And, and I hate saying that because I know so many people had it so rough. But having a baby, it's always going to be the best year of your life, the year that you have a baby. But it was really, it's been great just being able to just be with her. You know, the funny thing is, is that, and, and I, you know, joking aside, there are several people, and myself included, who the elements of last year, this, you know, no, you know not talking about the, the actual, you know, obviously the pandemic itself and the illness, but the fact of what it caused, the sort of force measure of having to be with family and, you know, hanging out and not having actual work to do because everything, all productions were canceled was one of the most wonderful things that's literally ever happened to me in my life. And I, I've never, never, I'll never stop thinking about the times I had with my kids. We did random things like build rock walls that I've wanted to do for years in my, around my property. And you know, that, that all of a sudden we had days, if not weeks, to actually build a rock wall as a family together. You know, right. not watching TV, not playing games, but like play, but doing something, creating something with our hands outside in the, in the you know, elements and, and just spending that, just talking with my 15-year-old son just all for hours at a time, which I just, you know, don't really do anymore when he's back at school. 
No, and and you would have never had that chance. So we have to look at the positives. There are so many negatives to the last year. So to try to find those things that are are positive. And, And for me, it really was a blessing to get to just focus on my baby. No, without a doubt. Well, say, you know, also the other thing is going forward, that where Iris, Iris is concerned, I suppose, they say that the first six months of a baby's life is when basically if they don't get enough attention, if they don't, then that's the stuff that comes back way further down the line. So the fact that you've been holed up in your cocoon, able to kind of spend countless hours just sort of, you know, with with, with your child is going to... Um, it's another positive, actually. Down the line, that'll you know, it, it's funny the kind of effects of of first six months of a child's life and how much attention they get and love and touch and th- you know all of that stuff. That's oh, kind of. Tr- that. I'm so um, glad to know that. Yeah, yeah, there we go. No, Tom. Tom never was actually picked up until he was about two. Um, at which point he was way too heavy to be really carried at all. Um, so, you know, he's he's always had a problem. And here's the exact opposite. Your child will be nothing like Tom. So mm-hmm. take, you know, <laughs> take, take something out of that. Um, you, you, what are you, you've got one of those bios. You know, when I look at your bio, uh, there's, it's always funny. Most people's bios are very much like full of achievements and things like that. Your bio is one of those bios that I love, which sound, felt, feels like I'm, I'm sort of reading your I don't know, diary or something. It's sort of like the way it's written, it has like, you know, you, you, you talk about how you first started cooking with your grandma when you were four. Like most people don't do that. They don't talk about, oh, I first picked up a camera when my mum bought me a camera when I was 12 and it was a brownie, which is my, my true story, right? Mm-hmm. But my, my bio is like, Nigel Barker from, you'll, you know, from 18 seasons of America's Next Top Model, also in The Face with Naomi Campbell for two years and has written four books. Like, like whatever. Like, it's just a, it's a list of my achievements. And I read I your bio. I wondered if I should have that in my bio. So I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I've always thought, is that corny that I put that in there? So. Well, I, I mean, you know me, I'm not going to miss a trick, honey. I saw that and I was like, as I was reading through and I'm like, wait a second, is this her bio? And I looked at the top and I'm like, am I on her bio page or am I reading a chapter out of her diary? And, and I kept reading it and it's done in your hand, like handwriting and it's very girly. <laughs> You know, it's like a very girly kind of page. And I was like, I almost felt guilty for it. I'm like, wait a second, am I going to find out some secret? You know, like, um, but is that so? Is that so? Like, you, it, it was, it even talks about how you used to get up on the table, pull up a chair, and make biscuits. Mm-hmm. She'd pull a, a stool over to the counter, and I'd stand there with her on the stool and pat out the biscuits. That was my favorite thing. Every Saturday, we did that. And uh, we lived in the same neighborhood as my grandparents. So, that was the routine was just going over there and I'd always be cooking with her and she was my babysitter. My mom was really lucky to have my grandparents there to just drop me off. And I just grew up loving food and it was all we ever talked about. And I'd go over to a friend's house to spend the night and I'd come back and my mom would say, Oh, how was it? And I'd say, they made biscuits out of a can. I was like, I was like very judgy as a child about other people's food. It, it, you know, it's funny, and I and I, I guess we all have a bit of that. And you know, my wife is is from Alabama, and I met her in Milan, in Italy. Um, she was modeling, and I remember she had a care package sent to her from her family to Milan. And meanwhile, you know, while we we're in Italy, we were getting the best pizza, naturally, great red wine, no surprise there, unbelievable fresh food, all the rest of it, like as you would in Italy. 
and her family had sent her a package of things that she was perhaps missing, you know. In it was two cans of cheese whiz. <laughs> I could tell you, I have never seen anyone quite so happy to receive cheese in a can oh, as she hilarious. was. And she opened it. She was like, she literally this shrill shriek of cheese whiz. And literally, amongst all these Italians, she popped off the, the horrible, aluminous orange top and sprayed this disgusting cream cheese into her mouth. And that and was, was it. Like, you were in love. I know. I was like, shit. I'm, <laughs> Can I take this back? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you're talking about being judgy. There it was. But ultimately, you know, I think what I love about my wife is her just her total down to earth authenticness. Like she doesn't care. She just is who she is. And for that, you can, you know, you would never want to change a damn thing because it's it's so hard to find that. And it's it feels to me with you too, like that's a lot of who you are too. You are someone who is just sort of take me or leave me this is my place it's my even like when you like i said when you got up i'm like oh is that your kids room i love that it's like i feel like i'm in your house like i'm with you right now you know you definitely are no i i feel like it's it's just i don't know i i, I can't imagine trying to put on i i think it just takes too much effort uh i am who i am and i i think i'm pretty nice <laughs> so i just want to be authentic and and put it out there i'm i'm not easily offended and i like most people and so i i think that i'm easy to get along with and i'd say most people are that way if you just be yourself and be true to who you are no without a doubt it's not common though in in the world of entertainment as you will know and i'd say in the world of social media as well like we've all gotten so used to you know, it used to be that you'd look in a magazine and the pictures were airbrushed and you'd think, oh, I want to look like that. I want to look like that. And you'd have to remind yourself, well, she's got hair extensions on and she's been airbrushed and has perfect lighting and a great photographer and the whole thing. And then now with social media, it's just constant that you're looking at images that aren't necessarily exactly like somebody's life. It's not just a, a picture in an editorial. It's supposed to be someone's life and it's not exactly accurate and I find myself sometimes looking at people I'll look at other moms who have babies the same age as me and I'll think god she's in such good shape I look awful and I I try to remind myself that everybody's journey is different and at different stages and um you know I'm just not there yet of doing the workout all the time and some people are and some people just snap right back to it and some people are using a filter and and pretending do, do what I do I mean I don't do social media and I don't have anything to do with this uh this podcast social media but if just get some get someone who's really good for your business to do the social media thing in line with what you're doing for your business and just don't just literally I keep I promise you I swear to God, I don't do social media. I like Facebook, Instagram, whatever. I don't do any of that. And literally, because I don't do it, I'm, I'm, I'm oblivious. My oblivious. God, great, amazing. I didn't have to compare you to anything other than yourself. Nothing to compare. So, it's, you know, it's like, just, By the way, you know, hey, nice There's the, the man who's w- wielding a knife as he's been talking. <laughs> what are you time. doing with that butter oh. knife? He's been holding this knife around and it's been going like this the whole time. I'm like, wait a second. Is he going to cut someone? What's happening here? Are you buttering bread or what are you doing? No, no, letter openers. I write letters, which means I get letters back. So it's over there, letter openers. This does look a bit weird. 
I know it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a little letter, letter opener. I didn't know where you were going when you were saying, get somebody to do, I thought, what? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, someone to do your social media for you and don't worry about it. It takes up, it takes up far too much time and it's, and it's completely ridiculous. I don't think, I think I'm wondering what's going to happen in five years time. I think that probably, will there be a kind of like a reaction against it and everyone will be, you know, like it won't exist. I mean, how it's, it's kind of, it's bonkers. I mean, I find it bonkers. I, I tell you that the other thing I find bonkers is that if you see something that you don't like on it, or like on Instagram and you say, Oh, that's, you know, gosh, how ridiculous. Um, your opinion, if it's a negative in any way, shape or form is then called trolling and you're sort of banned. So mm-hmm. like, so in that sense, there's no balance to the whole thing. It's like, bonk, it's like a sort of, it's like a, I don't know. I find it quite sort of narcissistic, sort of rather bizarre. I mean, I just don't care. It is bizarre. Doing. Can you imagine if the uh, you know 30, 40 years ago they told people that we were going to all be putting our lives constantly online? No, not all of us. Sorry, not me. Sorry, not all of us. That's right, not all. Yeah, yeah and I can tell you, it's, it, it, I literally, I don't feel that I'm. Um, but that Tom, that's only because you were banned. Different. You were- <laughs> I was. You were, you, were, you were banned from social media. He's making out that he doesn't do it. The reality is he was kicked off social media. Um, so he's not allowed to be on social media. So it's a sort of you know, restraining order or something. It's it actually what happened. And it had nothing to do with the knife wielding that he's just been doing. Um, please don't scare the mother we have you know, on our show, please. You know, he's terrified, poor thing. Um, Katie, you, it's funny, you talked about social media and, and, the, and the, the filters and the retouching, all the rest of it. You recently did a photo shoot. I know that we were wearing no makeup. When I photographed you, actually, we did um, a couple of shoots. We've already talked about one for Vogue, which you, you did your own makeup. And it was very light, very natural. You were sun-kissed, mostly from Moroccan weather. Um, and then the next shoot we did was called Raw, and it was very much about being your raw self and your raw emotions. Is this a bit of a theme for you? This seems to be something that you like to do. It does seem like it, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I did my own hair and makeup on my book cover. And this past year, filming from home, of course, doing my own hair and makeup. I do like a lighter touch um, to just be myself and, and be who I am. That's not to say that I don't love getting my makeup done. You know, have a great artist come in and you're going somewhere glamorous and you get your hair and makeup done. I hate doing my own hair. I will say that. I, I hate blow drying my hair, um, but I, I love having my makeup done. I color my own hair that I enjoy doing because I don't have to go to the salon then. Yeah, and Tom, during quarantine, Tom colors his own hair as well, by the way. That's not natural. No. I was just going to say, Nigel, Nigel, agree with you. He loves having his hair and makeup done as well. I mean, not makeup done, but hair, he doesn't have to worry too much about. Not so much. I cut no. my own hair too in the last year a few times. Did you? That's mm-hmm. daring. What, yes. kind of scissors, what kind of scissors do you use? It, it turned out all right. I just had a, my husband had some in his little kit and I just used those. In his little kit. There you go. Yeah, That's, you know, like men have the kit with the nail clippers. No, 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 be very careful. That sounds like you might have been manscaped. It's a whole <laughs> other thing. you got to be careful about those clippers now. I hope Not you boil wash them clippers. before you cut their hair. Oh, no. Here we go. No, scissors. I use scissors. Oh, serious. Serious. Please. <laughs> be very careful when you go digging in your, your man's little bag. No. Uh, special ball bag scissors or something. Who knows what that's about? No, thank you. God. Jeez. Tom, can you do something here, please? Yeah. Uh, what? About what? About what? <laughs> <laughs> 
He's like a grumpy old. Sorry, I completely switched off when you said manscaping. I went, oh, Christ, I'm not a conversation. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So I started thinking about something else. Sorry. I'm back. <laughs> He's back. He's back. Thank God we missed you. Um, <laughs> I've, I've heard that you, we have something in common as well here, changing tone completely and changing direction, that you enjoy eating at Hillstone restaurants. Oh, my God. I love Hillstone. Are you what a Hillstone fan? Them? I am. I'm, it's so funny you said that. See, I've never realized it was like a thing. But my family, our favorite place, I think it used to be called Houston's or something. But, yeah. but it was, and it was in the, when I used to shoot in Santa Monica, when I was living in LA, shooting That's top That's the model. best one, but go ahead. Yeah, right. There you go. So it's off the hook, right? You go mm -hmm. in there and I want to hear from you why you like it first. And I'll tell you why I like it. Well, I think it's totally consistent. Every time you go, you know what you're going to get. You know that it's going to be good. The service is perfect. And the food is really, really good. Like those grilled artichokes, I love. Um, I love their ribs. I think they have a great burger. Their salmon's really good. The sushi's great. <laughs> I mean, basically everything. The best margaritas. I it's love their good. food. It's it's all good. The only issue is sometimes if you don't make a proper reservation, which half the time I'm late doing, oh. it, and I feel bad if I'm trying to walk in there and, and I know the woman who runs it and I'm trying to kind of dodge the queue or something like that, which inevitably I have done. But it, it, it is that they are very popular and it will go yeah. down the street. But well, you know, pretending you're the rock or something. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I just definitely the stone. You got to do what you got to do to get a table at Hillstone. You got to do what you got to do, and half the time, Tom. You, this is back when, specifically, when I was shooting, and I would go at like five o'clock in the afternoon for a really early dinner, and it would still be packed, and I, it was just me. I would I go by myself just to eat there at the bar or have a small table, a booth, and just because I was shooting and I wasn't there with my family, I was alone in a hotel, staying at the Oceana up the street or whatever, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was my go-to. And you're right. Back then, I used to eat ribs, but I kind of moved into the fish. But it's all good. Have you ever read the Bon Appetit article, The Best Restaurant in America, and it's about Hillstone? Really? No, I did not know that. Wow. As a Hillstone fan, you should Google it and read it. <laughs> Absolutely. And is it that one in Santa Monica we're talking about? No, it's it just Hillstone in general. But they um, also give some of their recipes in that article. And I've made them, and they're really good. I didn't. I sorry. I'd, I'd never heard of it. So I've just while you were chatting, I just googled it. But and it's it's um. You guys talk about the food and you know all that, but actually, it it's it's quite old fashioned in a in a case. Kind of, it looks like it's a place I might like actually. Like only four people. It only takes bookings for four people. I'm just reading off their website now. This is the bit that you're not mentioning, which is maybe the reason why you actually like it um, and don't realize it. No uh, flip-flop, what do they say? They have quite a dress code, no tank top, flip-flops, team athletic attire. They don't, they, all hats are, are not allowed. No more than four people. And uh, children are basically banned. I mean, our, rest, they said our, our restaurants are generally not the best environment for young children. That's brilliant. I mean, that's it. Um, we are, and phones, don't take phone calls at your tables. It's, um, I mean, it is amazing. If you get a phone call, take it out of the, out of the out of the restaurant um Tom, we like a restaurant because of the food and you like it because of the authoritarian rules that ban children and bad attire which yeah, really the thing I don't like, is a long the, way to suggest the sort of person you are really doesn't it you know the only it's thing i don't like the atmosphere right <laughs> you have to you have to read that on article though you'll really it'll appreciate it all 
going to have to go. They kick you out after 90 minutes, though. That's a bit much. That's, that's not my idea of a good lunch. Maybe that's a COVID rule, though. A lot of restaurants are doing that right now so that they can turn the tables for the wait staff. Yeah. Talking about kids not being allowed in restaurants, with Iris, what are you? has it changed your opinion on nutrition now that you've, you're having to mush everything up into a blend? I'm sure she's not eating yet. She's only eight months. Right. She's doing purees. So I cook for her quite a bit. Um, and I'm trying to come up with interesting combinations and I want her to experience flavors. So like I'll make butternut squash and add fresh ginger to it and do a puree or, you know, I just made her some spinach puree and I put a little garlic in it just a little bit so that she starts to develop a palate. And uh, like I'll do uh, pureed chickpeas and I'll add tahini, garlic and lemon like I was making hummus just without the salt so um, that she gets all those tastes. Amazing. Wow. That sounds I want to eat those purees. That sounds that's, it's, that's really interesting. I'm curious. Too. There it goes again. No baby food, no breastfeeding, no baby food. You know, like <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I make her minty peas. Isn't that a British thing? <laughs> we like our. We like our mushy peas. Oh, okay. I mush them up and I put mint in them. Yeah, we do mint too. I've actually never been a fan of mint peas. Oh, they're so good. I know. I don't know what it is. In England, I remember going to a friend's house one time and the mother made mint peas and she was so excited and she was giving them to us and I literally couldn't eat them. I didn't know what to do. I was so like freaked out. But my, my mother had never made them that way. You know, my mother's from Sri Lanka, as I mentioned. So she just didn't, it was always Asian type of food, but not, so we got a lot of Indian food. I was very, had a very kind of like a exotic palate from for, from food styles, but it, the English food, like that's about as exotic as it gets, putting mint in the peas. <laughs> I love Indian food so much. Yeah, no, for sure. Any particular kind? Any, what, what's your, what's your go-to? Oh, well, I love doll. I'm such a lentil fan. So I love lentil doll. Uh, I'm sorry, yellow doll. I love um, black doll. That's probably my favorite is black doll. I love really? black lentils and they're kind of creamy. Just love I'm it. I'm a huge fan. So in, in Sri Lanka, we call doll um, paripu. Is the, uh-huh. It's a Sri Lankan name for when you make lentils doll. It's called paripu. Um, and I'm not sure how you guys how you make it, but we do ours where you it's it's a yellow orange lentil. You you wash it a few times. You boil it in water until the water evaporates. You pour in um, coconut milk, um, about a cup and a half of coconut milk to about a cup and a half of lentils. You can let that simmer. You can, I also put in the um, but you never put the lid on once you put the coconut in, right? And then you put it you in a separate pan. You're frying your onions, garlic curry leaves, um, cumin, turmeric. Um, you might even put in a little bit of tamarind if you if you put it down in some water to give it a bit of a sort of saltiness to it too and a little perhaps that other kind of flavor which is a little bit different that tamarind has. Um, pour, and then that goes then once that's done that goes into the into the into the lentils and we're going to add salt, pepper um, and um, probably lemon juice once you turn it off just to kind of taste it but also we put in spinach and tomatoes that have been blanched to get rid of the skin and what have you and then that's the whole thing and voila it's kind of like a peasant food but the best food ever yes that sounds so good i've been wanting to do um a puree a lentil coconut milk puree for iris so you have been kind of inspired you you guys should be doing a show together you know you should be cooking together i'm all in i'm all in 
I, I would love to learn how to cook all of that food that you're talking about. I cook Sri Lankan curries all the time. My mum, just like you were talking about with your grandma, I used to cook with my grandma and my mum, same way curries. And I've, it's my favorite thing to do is cook a huge big curry, whether it's, it's an aubergine curry, cauliflower curry, potato barges, you, know, you name it, papadums, the whole nine yards. Please send me a recipe. That oh, sounds I will so send good. you everything. It's fantastic. I, it, and I'll, I'd be delighted to do it. In fact, even better, how about you come up and stay with us and we'll, come, we'll make yes. you the curry. All you right, can- I'm in. I'm in. I grew up as a kid having paripu, which is lentils that you said, with rice and maybe a little bit of mango chutney to sweeten it. And that, that was like, from a kid's perspective, you mush it all up together and it all becomes like a kind of like a, looks like a risotto or something, like a lentil risotto almost, you know, if you can imagine. And, and it, it, from a kid's perspective, it's just every mouthful is perfect because it's slightly sweet, slightly savory, and it's got that, you know, the, the warmth of the lentils and the comfortness of the rice. Yeah, so it's just a real easy thing Sounds to eat. so good. It's doesn't pretty- sound that hang on, what mushed up curry poo? Like, you've got to say that that as a sentence doesn't sound that good. The way he just, I mean, the way he described it is good. We could maybe get put a new, like maybe just put a different spin on it, like a, I don't know, different, give it a different label. Mashed up curry poo. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like, my, I'm not like salivating here very much. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not for adults, Tom. It's the children's food we're talking. Uh, Kid, I was a small we- child. All right, sorry, sorry. Tom's keeping uh, it real. <laughs> there is a new Indian restaurant in New York that you should check out if you haven't been there before yeah. called Sona, S-O-N-A, Sona. Oh, I heard about it. Is it good? Yeah, it's Priyanka Chopra's restaurant with mm-hmm. um, Manish Goyle. Uh, Manish is a good friend of ours, and he's appeared on the Shaken and Stirred show before. Um, and uh, he's opened a new Indian restaurant called Sona, and it's really fabulous. And it's done a great job with it. Oh, I'll definitely check it out. And we can help you get a reservation, you know, not that you need any help, but it's a little bit of a hot place to get into. So I always need help. I never know how to get a reservation. That's why I go to the same restaurants over and over again, because once I know how to get a reservation, then I'll go back. That is the ticket. And in New York City, this is one of those hot restaurants too. It's brand new. They just opened it and everyone, you know, their uncle's trying to get a reservation in there. But it's my friend, one of my closest friends. He's a great guy, and he's just done such a great job. The ambiance is fabulous. They serve these extraordinary Indian margarita tequila drinks in oh, wow. what is like a papadam and naan bread cup, which has a little hole in the top. And it's what it's traditional in India, northern India, that you can get as a street drink where there's no waste, whereas you would have to throw away a cup. If the cup is made of bread, then you drink the drink and eat the cup. So there's no oh, way. I'm, I'm in. I, I love my carbs. Yeah. So there you go. This is like carbs all the way, but it's fabulous at the same time. So, hey, you know, how can you go wrong there? Um, I want to dive in to, again, t- changing to, you know, direction here. We've only got a few more minutes with you, but 96 Elephants campaign. You, you are an uh, ambassador for the, the Wildlife Conservation Society what brought you, what took you there? What got, I mean, I understand, you know, you're, you have a career in cooking and, 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 you know, these great shows on the Food Network and what have you. 96 Elephants, what is, was there something specific? Did you go travel to Thailand or India or Africa? What was it? Well, years ago, I went to Africa with my mother. We went on a safari. We both love elephants and it was amazing to see them there in their natural habitat. And then I was back in New York and um, my dog's veterinarian, I'm very close to, and she uh, is 
part of uh, the Wildlife Conservation Society. She's in the Eco Health Alliance. She's just very um, into wildlife. And she invited me to a seminar about the elephants and uh, the ivory trade. And in, in New York City, you could walk into one of these antique stores and think that you're buying antique ivory. And it turns out that it was uh, really from a, a poacher. And there's was no real way to know if it was actually antique ivory or if it was new ivory and anybody could just call themselves an appraiser. And, you know, I could say I'm an appraiser and I deem this as antique and it, it wasn't. So they were trying to get there to be a law that you just could not sell any ivory at all. And I said, okay, well, what do you need? Let's, I feel really passionately about this. What do you need? And they said, we need a some sort of government figure to, to adopt this and, and get behind it. And I had a friend of a friend who knew Governor Cuomo and I got in touch with him and we went in and met with him and he said, great, let's do this. Let's ban ivory in New York. And so New York became the first state to ban ivory sales. And then it went across the country and, and became a law. Um, so it was really exciting to get to be a part of that. And uh, I really feel passionately about having um, <clears throat> a, a world for my daughter and future generations to get to have elephants. I mean, I can't imagine a world without elephants. You know, they're these majestic creatures and um, they're just being completely wiped out by poachers. So I wanted to be part of 96 Elephants. And 96 Elephants, it's a conglomerate. It's part of Wildlife Conservation Society, but so many other wildlife groups are part of 96 Elephants. It's kind of an umbrella so around all of it. So apparently, I was talking weirdly, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Apparently, I might, and I might be wrong, but I don't think I am, we're one of the only countries where that the sale, as you say, of ivory is still allowed if it's, you know, inverted commas, antique. And as you say, you don't know what you're buying, right? So apparently it's become a sort of dumping ground. And, the, you know, the, basically the black market, um, you know, the go-to place to, to buy ivory, which is absolutely disgraceful. And so, and we, we you know, I don't know how one goes about um, tackling it. And then on a completely different, um, uh, same subject, but a completely different tack. I heard last week, this is really encouraging but really weird, only now has the Kenyan government decided um, last week to do a census, a wildlife census, right? They have, apparently, they've, they've, they've realized how important elephants are to tourism and to, like, you know, the countries. You know, they've, only, they've literally only just decided to go and count the friggin' elephants. And I'm sorry, you know, I say this like this because we all sit around, we've, you know, how long have we been talking about ivory and poaching and tusks and, you know, you know, elephant, you know, the, the rhinos and chopping the horns. How, how long have we all been talking about this? Years, like maybe 20 years, 30 years, been like a big subject. The country where these creatures live, they're only now getting around to, you know, turning around and saying, oh, well, maybe we can count them. And like, maybe we should do this, like a count them every year and actually see how many are, you know what I mean? It, it strikes me as, when I heard that last week, I was just like, Christ, you know, what are we, you know, is this just the kind of West imposing their views on a country that just doesn't care really too much about? I mean, I don't understand anybody being for it. You're like, why would you be for poaching and for it's, it's, 
huge amount of, you know, because if you chop a, you know, you can hack a bloody rhino's horn off. It's what, well, what's the, right the people who do the poaching. Yeah. I mean, they're making a fortune and it, it funds terrorism. Terrorist groups yeah. are directly funded by ivory sales. Yeah. But I mean, I guess in the country like Kenya, why, you know, the, the reason they are, the reason they're doing the census, the reason the government, the Kenyan government have given is because they have realized how important the wildlife industry tourism is to their GDP, right? How much money it brings into their country. But I mean, they don't give, I guess, in a country like that, where you probably kind of like got, I suppose there are kind of like a lot of concerns about people and sanitation and trying to turn probably a lot of fresh water in the villages. I don't know, basic sanitation, you know, that's probably a priority. So the last thing you're going to maybe divert your attention to is, is are elephants because it's not going to win you any votes, right? But, they, but it does boil down to money. So e- ecotourism is a big deal. So when it comes to any kind of wildlife, the world over, one of the major ways of saving wildlife is by un- making the, the the governments understand that there is ecotourism to be had. And even when it's the seal hunt in, in Canada, for example, you know, the, the concept that maybe people go to Canada because they see seals and they're, and they're cute and they like seeing them and therefore maybe we shouldn't club them to death you know, is one of those things. And, you know, it, it's funny because if you go on Air Canada, the, you know, on the aeroplane, on their magazine, everything is the white baby seal is like right there. But, but the reality is, is that the seal hunt still continues in places like Canada, right? In Newfoundland. So it's, you know, there is a sort of, there's a sort of ironic side to, uh, which is not shocking because unfortunately as with most governments it's all it all comes down to the pocketbook you know your purse it's like how much money are we getting and who's suffering and from from a human standpoint like are we going to take money away from farmers or from people who go hunt we don't want to lose constituents we don't want to be unpopular we don't want to be seen to be too weak or too you know being apparently you know looking after our planet and the animals seems to be a sort of green left wing approach to handling stuff right which is bonkers you know and I think we, we all agree. Look, we've only got you for a couple more minutes. I want to quit. We would normally have, we have something called last orders on um, a Shaken and Stirred show, which is pretty much some rapid fire questions, pretty easy stuff. Um, I'm assuming you're ready right now. You look like you're ready. You've been chill this entire time. You've been such a chill guest, I've got to say. I feel like I'm literally having a drink with you in your living room or in your bedroom, actually. It's a bit weird, but um, that's okay. Um, so here we go. Very, very simple. First one, I'm going to give you an easy question straight off the bat. What's your favorite ingredient? What is your go-to ingredient, Katie? Ooh, um, it would have to be garlic. Garlic. There you go. My wife doesn't even like garlic, so she's like, very sparingly do we use garlic. I just apparently, I love garlic, but apparently the queen does not like garlic in any of her food. Oh. There we go. So I love garlic too, um, but your queen, Nigel, and our queen, Apparently don't. Anyway, sorry, I was like chuckling. There you go. <laughs> I don't know whether it's because she then has to talk to foreign dignitaries and doesn't want them going back to whatever country they've, they've you know, come if from. If everybody thinking, eats the garlic, it cancels out. And it's literally just thinking, all associations with our queen are just this sort of rather like kind of, I love the whole. I love the whole story of like King Henry VIII, though, who beheaded his wife Anne Boleyn because she ate garlic. So the story oh, no. goes. That she would eat, she would chew so much garlic, but it would happen to be a good thing because it stopped her from getting sick. And whilst there was like a flu epidemic going around England and everyone was dying, and you know that she was chewing garlic, which uh, apparently has an antibiotic aspect to garlic, uh, mm. which uh, helped apparently save her, but gave her the most wicked breath. And so he eventually beheaded her. Um, but hey, uh, you know, there are, 
Luckily, my husband eats garlic too. <laughs> You've got to both eat it, otherwise you're 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 it's you know it's a recipe, literally is a recipe for disaster. Like if one of you, some um, anyway. This is meant to be rapid fire questions, by the way. Uh, best place in the world for cuisine, in your opinion? Italy. I mean, that's your favorite. That's your go-to. Yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah. I think no one no one disagrees there. Um, what floats your boat and what gets your goat? What floats my boat? There's so much that I enjoy. Gosh, that's a hard question. What floats my boat? I'll say ice cream floats my boat. (laughs) Soft serve in particular. And uh, what gets my goat um, are internet trolls. Get a life. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you agree with that one, Tom, that's for sure. Okay, in the movie of your life, who would you have play you? I'd have Allie McGraw play me because every day somebody tells me that we're twins. There you go. That's a good one. That's an easy one right there. I like it. And finally, shaken or stirred? Oh, shaken all the way. I I want the martini so cold that you get ice skate across the top. There you go, guys. You and James Bond. There's a reason for it. As we started this with a Bond theme, we're ending it with a Bond theme. And despite the fact they're both wrong, we're going to stick with it. Katie Lee Beagle, thank you so much, Katie. You're the best. Check oh, it out. I love you. This is it's great. It's not complicated. I'm assuming you can get it's not complicated everywhere, Amazon and all the rest yeah. of it, right? Yes, yes. Fantastic. Well, good luck with it all. Thank you so much for having me. I want a Sri Lankan curry sometime, and we're going to Hillstone. And That's on another it. I love occasion. it. Tom, we're going to have to have a cocktail someday. You, you're going to have to come for the curry in the Hillstone, too, because you haven't had Hillstone. Love to. I think we're all heading out. Hopefully, if all, all is well, we'll be out um, at the end of the year. We'll be hitting, we'll be coming out to the West Coast. I presume that's where you are, is it? No, she's no, not. No, I'm, I'm New York. Well, we'll do that in New York. And leave, leave that letter opener at home. Yeah. Plastic. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thanks so much, my love. All the best. Thanks, this is the Jacob Third Show. We love you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.